one of the most jam-packed Brandon's World of the Year. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, generations. You are listening live here to Brandon's World on this Thursday, October 6, 2022. We are on the precipice of one of the biggest weekends of the year for me personally and in the whole realm of sports. We have, of course, Extreme Rules this Saturday streaming live on Peacock. We have the Cleveland Guardians in the MLB playoffs starting tomorrow, taking on the NBA Rays, as well as, of course, our NFL Week 5 best bets and straight-up money line predictions. So without further ado, let's get started. As always, make sure to follow me on Twitter at row underscore B-word. Follow me personally at Brandon Lewis underscore 7. We are going to save our picks for last today in this podcast. I want to start things off by saying congratulations to the Cleveland Guardians for making the postseason as the number three seed, the lowest division seed winner in the American League. They will take on the Tampa Bay Rays starting tomorrow at noon Eastern in game one of the wild card round. This is a best out of three series and scenario where obviously if you win two, you advance to the ALDS. If the Rays win, they will advance to take on Houston. If the Guardians win, they will advance to take on the number two seed, New York Yankees. The Cleveland Guardians are a phenomenal story this year. Everybody predicted them to be fourth or fifth in the AL Central, behind the White Sox, Minnesota, and some people even add Detroit ahead of the Cleveland Guardians. But this team is the youngest team, not only in Major League Baseball, but in Triple A as well. They had 18 Major League debuts this season and contributing everywhere all over the diamond from the infield to the bullpen to the starting rotation to the outfield. They're a young group. They never say die. They hit the ball in play. They're going to do very well next year when baseball goes to that banning the shift, bigger bases, pitch clock, all those new rules because they already do that. They do not strike out a lot. They make the most contact, and they have the least amount of swing and misses in Major League Baseball. Because they are so young, again, they never, never know when the game is going to be over. You have players like Jose Ramirez, who's Sean Fitzgerald. When I sat down with him earlier this week, you're going to go in and listen to my interview with Sean tomorrow, where we talk all things Cleveland Guardians postseason, along with all things NFL. We sprinkle a little Donovan Mitchell and the Cleveland Cavaliers in there as well. But this team has maybe the most underrated superstar in all baseball and Jose Ramirez, a first baseman slash DH in Josh Naylor, who somehow came back after that horrific injury he suffered in May of 2021. You have all-star second baseman Andreas Jimenez, guys like Oscar Gonzalez, Ahmed Rosario, Will Brennan, Miles Straw, the list goes on and on and on. They have maybe the best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball as well in Austin Hedges. Starting rotation, you still have Shane Bieber, one of the best pitchers still in Major League Baseball. A Cy Young candidate, I believe, and a 
potential number one ace and phenom down the line. Interest in McKenzie to go with Cal Quantrill, maybe even a Zach Poizak. This team is also very deep in the back of the bullpen with a great closure, maybe the best in all of baseball in Emmanuel Classe. Tampa Bay and Cleveland are one of the are two of the teams in the Major League Baseball without a lot of payroll. They do it by building for the draft. They do it well with trades. And a lot of people complain the Cleveland Guardians did not make a move at the deadline. They stayed with what they have. And it is paying off. It is a credit to Terry Brancona, who I believe should be the manager of the year in Major League Baseball, at least in the American League, after what he went through the last couple of years with health issues. And again, everybody projecting this team to be in fourth place. I did not. I thought they were going to be maybe a second place team, somewhere between 85 and 90 wins. As we sit right here right now, there is one game left to go in the regular season at the time of this recording, and they do have 91 victories. A shock to the rest of Major League Baseball, but not a shock to the guys in that clubhouse. And again, I do feel like Tampa Bay, they've always matched up very well with Cleveland. Of course, they beat the then Indians in the 2013 wildcard round, but that was just one game that was not a best of three series. Friday afternoon baseball is a rarity unless you're at Wrigley Field. It's going to be a hell of a time down there at Progressive Field this weekend, and I give this team a good shot to go up against anybody in a series because of their youth. Now, playoff experience is going to come into play. I understand that. When you go up against the Houston or you go up against the Yankees, the big giants in the American League. But this team is just so much fun to watch. They play baseball the right way. They get base hits. They run the base as well. They don't swing just for power. I think that that will benefit them. Would I be surprised if this goes to game three on Sunday afternoon? I would not. I have a lot of respect for what Kevin Cash and Tampa Bay and that rotation and that lineup has done. Obviously, throughout so many years competing in that American League uh, East with the Yankees and Red Sox and Toronto and even Baltimore was very good this year. They may have had the best season they've had in a decade. So I give a lot of credit to them. They're battle tested, but so is this Guardians team. And we will get ready for a fun weekend of baseball here in the AL Central. As always, you can check out all my Guardians content on Believe Land Media LLC which is linked in the description below. All right, well, speaking of this weekend, we all know on Saturday, we have not talked a lot of wrestling in a while since the NFL season started, but Extreme Rules is on the docket from the Wells Fargo Center, the home of the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia, PA, the home of Extreme, and for the first time in a long time, thanks to Triple H's new regime in WWE, this Extreme Rules card, it may only have six matches at the time of this recording. I'm only saying that because who knows if by Saturday they add another match or two. But we're, we're going to be bringing down the six matches that are currently announced on the card. This show could very well go three straight SmackDown matches, three straight Raw matches in a row to end the show. Because I think there's a lot of similar Extreme type matches where you kind of have to break it up, you know, from a ladder, a fight pick. Old-fashioned Donnie Brook, a strap match, an extreme rules match. So I think it's going to be very hard to try to break it up to keep the crowd interested throughout the event. But there is no match in this that is a normal match. They are all extreme. There's only two championships on the line. 
those being both the main women's championships on both brands, Raw and SmackDown, and there's a lot of personal rivalries. So I think they need to kick things off because there are two women's matches on this card. I think one is going to main event, which means I think one needs to start the show. I think you can kick it off hot with Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. There is a theme throughout this entire Extreme Rules card, and that is these rivalries have been building really ever since the summer when Vince McMahon was still in charge of World Wrestling Entertainment. Of course, that money in the bank. Ronda Rousey defended the SmackDown Women's Championship against Natalia. She successfully defended her championship but injured her knee in the contest. Liv Morgan, who had won money in the bank earlier in the night, ran down, cashed in, and became the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Then at SummerSlam, it looked like Ronda Rousey had Liv Morgan, and Liv Morgan even tapped out to the Ronda Rousey armbar. However... Ronda Rousey's shoulders were down for the three-count first, a, a controversial decision, but it ended up leading to Liv Morgan retaining the SmackDown Women's Championship. And now, after defeating Shayna Baszler clean by pinfall at Clash of the Castle, Ronda Rousey is back for her revenge for her friend Shayna Baszler, and she is looking to finally put Liv Morgan down. The story of this matchup has been that Liv Morgan cannot get extreme enough, but she showed her extreme side by putting Shayna Baszler, for, or excuse me, by putting uh, Lacey Evans for a table a couple weeks ago on SmackDown and using the baseball bat last week on SmackDown against the baddest woman on the planet in Ronda Rousey. I do think that Liv Morgan is going to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship, whether it's by interference of Shayna Baszler possibly costing Ronda Rousey the match and them setting up a feud, that is certainly a possibility. But I do not think they're going to put the championship back on Ronda Rousey. I think this could set up for a Charlotte Flair return down the line after Extreme Rules, where that is Liv Morgan's next challenger. Because no matter who is the champion on SmackDown, whether it's a face or a heel, SmackDown is lacking a lot in the women's division. And I don't think Liv Morgan has really had a proper run as champion. She hasn't had a lot of matches. She's had a lot of confrontations with a lot of girls bigger than her. And the story is, of course, she's a miracle kid. She is an underdog. And I think some way, somehow, in an entertaining Extreme Rules match, Lynn Morgan ends up putting Ronda Rousey down again. I think Jaina Baszler could come down, could come down, excuse me, and cause Rousey the match. But I think Lynn Morgan walks away still SmackDown Women's Champion. The next match on the card is very interesting because this feud started right before Clash of the Cast. That is Drew McIntyre against the returning Karrion Cross, who will have his first main roster premium live event match, and it will be a strap match. Karrion Cross claims that Drew McIntyre was the chosen one by Mr. McMahon a long time ago, back in 2009, when McIntyre entered the WWE. Cross was a chosen one of Triple H back in NXT. Once he got to the main roster, Vince McMahon buried Karrion Cross. Now that Cross is back, he's looking to make a statement much like McIntyre did when he returned to the company after getting fired in 2014 and coming back four years later to become the WWE Champion. 
alongside Scarlet Boudreau carrying Cross as a, as a look like his NXT gimmick now on the main roster with Triple H. He has been a menace. Scarlet Boudreau has thrown a fireball in the face of the Scottish Warrior. Cross has been very protected, including his straight jacket submission hold. You can only win this match by pinfall or submission. I envision this match ending with Kyrian Cross using the strap to choke out McIntyre with that straight jacket submission hold, and Cross walks away victorious. But I expect this strap match to be very physical. Very brutal between two guys that absolutely hate each other. I don't think they're going to bury Drew McIntyre, but I do think this is a stepping stone for Karrion Cross as he makes his way towards Roman Reigns and the Undisputed Universal Championship, which, of course, this old feud started over. Don't know if Cross is going to necessarily get there yet, but I do think this would be a stepping stone in the right direction for the former NXT champion. Next match. This is going to be a really fun match. Of course, 24 hours prior, we will have Sheamus versus Gunther in a Clash of the Castle rematch for the Intercontinental Championship on SmackDown. But at Extreme Rules, you have an old-fashioned Donnybrook match between Butch, Sheamus, and Ridge Holland against the team of Imperium. Now, I know WWE may want to make Imperium look strong here. But I believe after Gunther retains the Intercontinental Championship against Sheamus some way, somehow, maybe by Oker, by Crook on SmackDown, the Brawling Brutes will want to get revenge by pinning either Da Vinci or Ludwig Kaiser at Extreme Rules in a very fun, old-fashioned Irish Donnybrook match, which we saw Drew McIntyre and Sheamus participate in what was a half-an-hour war on SmackDown a couple months ago. I find Butch... Of course, he's being Pete Dunne in NXT. I find Butch one of the most entertaining acts currently in all of the WWE. I love his gimmick, much like Fit Finley, that he loves to fight. And I think the Brawling Brutes are slowly getting over. And we saw their great tag team match, almost match of the year candidate against the Usos for the Undisputed Tag Team Championship a couple weeks ago on SmackDown. I think that they need to carry their momentum. It may lead to another last chance Sheamus-Gunther Intercontinental Championship match down the line, maybe even a crown jewel. But I do think that the, that the uh, baby faces here will go over in another excellent, fun contest. Now we get to the Raw side. And I loved the promo that Edge cut this past Monday. Of course, he will take on Finn Bauer, the now leader of the Judgment Day in an I Quit match. Back in June, after the Hell in a Cell event, when Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley teamed together for what would be the first and only time against AJ Styles, Finn Bauer, and Liv Morgan, the next night on Raw, Finn Bauer came out and attacked Edge along with Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley, revealed himself as the true leader of the Judgment Day, who, of course, has since added Dominic Mysterio after he turned on Edge and his father Ray at Clash of the Castle. Now Edge is out for revenge in his first ever match against Finn Bauer, and it will be an I Quit match. And Edge said, Listen, he's let his family down a lot. The Judgment Day has put him in the hospital multiple times. They're trying to end him. But Edge knows he's the reason why he started the Judgment Day in the first place. And it took him nine years to get back from his horrific neck injury. 
and Edge does not ever, ever say I quit. This is where I think WWE has backed themselves into a corner a little bit. Because I think you need to protect Edge, but you also need to protect the Judgment Day. You don't want to make Finn Bauer look weak by saying the words, I quit. Somebody with a very, very strong will is going to say the words, I quit. And I really could envision Edge doing it, though, as you guys know, Edge is my favorite wrestler of all time. He's what we come out to, to the theme song. As, as the entrance for every podcast we start, it's what we came out to the entrance for today. But I think this can be a way to write Edge off television for a little bit, potentially. And the Judgment Day has been booked very strong over the last couple of weeks, especially with the addition of Dominic Mysterio. Who knows? Maybe Edge threatens Dominic Mysterio. Maybe AJ Styles joins the Judgment Day. Maybe something happens where they force Edge to quit. They literally force him to quit. But I think this is going to be a very brutal, a very physical match between two of the best wrestling minds in the business, between Edge and Finn Bauer. Again, I'm going to pick Finn Bauer to win the match, though I hope I'm wrong. But I think this could be one of the best matches of the weekend. you got the rated R superstar against the Prince Finn Bauer to decide who is the true leader of Judgment Day. And I think this time Finn Bauer proves the decision to kick Edge out of the group as the right one. Again, this story has been building since June, and we're finally going to get to it. And for the first time ever, those two talents in an I Quit match is a heck of a treat. Speaking of a heck of a treat, the Fight Pit, I believe, will be next. Now, this certainly could main event, though I think the marketing of the first ever main roster wider match for the Raw Women's Championship, we know WWE likes to market things. This is the first time ever to main event a premium live event. That's why I'm going to put Bianca Belair versus Bayley last. But this rivalry between Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle has been one of the most personal rivalries that WWE has ever told in a long, long time. They have taken shots at each other's personal lives. Rollins has taken shot at, at Riddle's family. Riddle has taken the same shot at Seth Rollins' family. We saw Riddle get a little bit too emotional at Clash of the Castle, which costs in that match. But Riddle has done everything, everything in his power to get a rematch with Seth freaking Rollins. And now with, Damien, with Daniel Cormier, excuse me, as the special guest referee for this match, you have a feeling somebody is going to turn on Daniel Cormier, and Daniel Cormier is going to cost somebody the victory here at Extreme Rules. And I feel like it could be Riddle, who Daniel Cormier knocks out, and Rollins, who he's always been a fan of, gets the victory. Because Seth Rollins needs a legitimate victory, because I do think after this, Rollins is going to move to the United States Championship picture to take on Bobby Lashley. He very well could move to the Undisputed picture to take on Roman Reigns for the Undisputed Universal Championship. Rollins and Riddle, we know they don't like each other in real life. We know Riddle has been going out of the Judgment Day and Seth Rollins. We know Riddle is just looking for a fight, but inside that fight pit, there's just something that tells me that Seth Rollins is going to be doing a little bit of a better job than Riddle on Saturday night. 
I'm very interested to see this fight pit. I know they've had a couple on the NXT show, but you guys know I don't really watch NXT that much. So I'm really excited to see it be brought to the main roster. My understanding is there are no ropes. It is a steel cage with no ropes, and the only way to win is by submission or knockout. I could very well see, because these two men hate each other so much, somebody is going to try to knock somebody out, but Daniel Cormier may be the one with one right hand to TKO one of the competitors, and I predict that competitor to be TKO will be Riddle, and Seth freaking Rollins will get his hand raised in victory in a very personal fight that I'm so looking forward to. Call the Philadelphia PD because these boys may very well steal the show. And finally, for the Raw Women's Championship, I think we're going to get the main event ladder match, Bianca Belair defending the Raw Women's Championship against Bailey, and at the end of the day, damage control will leave Extreme Rules. After forming at SummerSlam in late July, Dakota Kai, EO Sky, taking the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships a couple weeks ago from, from Aliyah and Raquel Rodriguez. I think damage control will leave Philadelphia PA with all of the gold. And Bailey and Bianca Belair, we all know they had a personal rivalry in 2021 for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Belair was able to knock Bailey off at WrestleMania Backlash. And once again, inside LNSL at that LNSL Premium Live event last year. They were supposed to be in an, in an I quit match at Money in the Bank. However, Bailey tore her, her ACL before then, and now Bailey gets her revenge. Thanks to the help of Dakota Kai and EO Sky. We know Alexa Bliss and Asuka will also get involved on behalf of the Raw Women's Champion, the, the ESD. But I think that Bianca Belair has kind of run out of challengers. She's had a good, lengthy championship run of six months, but I think it is time for Raw to have a new woman champion. And we've seen Triple H focus on factions in WWE since his return. Whether it's been Imperium, the Judgment Day, the Boardline, uh, you know, the Brawling Brutes, or Damage Control. And I think that factions will continue to dominate. Not only did the Judgment Day walk on victorious in the Quick match, but at the end of the night... Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky all have gold. And that's the final picture we see coming out of Extreme Rules in this history-making first-ever main roster ladder match for a main women's championship. Bailey is once again the history maker. Ding dong, hello, she is the new Raw Women's Champion in an event that, again, could steal the show, could be one of the premium live events of the year, which WWE, even dating back to the Vince McMahon era, over the last couple of years, really ever since the pandemic, they have really made these premium live events really good, really entertaining, B-plus to A-level shows throughout, besides maybe one or two premium live events, and that's not even grading on a curb. Raw or SmackDown may be hit or miss, but the premium live events have been really entertaining, and I expect another entertaining event this Saturday, Wells Fargo Center at Extreme Rules. And with that, it is time. Oh, boy. The moment you've all been waiting for. We have spent about 25 minutes talking all things baseball and wrestling. But, folks, you know why you're really here, right? Week 5, 
straight up money line picks and best bets. You already know the drill. We're going to go ahead. We're going to turn on that football music. Week two, week three, and week four, we have been three for five in best bets every week. Last week, we went 10 and six in straight up money line, which was by far our best of the season. It's been a rough season, as we know, with a lot of upsets. That puts our record currently to 34 and 30 for straight up money line to start the year, which is not bad at all. I'll take it after that rough start we had. And I gotta say, the lines are a little tricky this week. There's some big lines that I've stayed away from. There's one big line that I do actually really do like. But these are my favorite picks that I've had all year long today. So let's get them going. First of all, kicking things off. Thursday Night Football. The Indianapolis Colts. It sounds like they're going to be with Jonathan Taylor. But even without Jonathan Taylor, they're going to Denver. Which even though the Broncos offense with Nathaniel Ackett absolutely stinks. And Russell Wilson does look washed to this point. They're on the road in Denver. Denver is favored by three and a half. I am not going to bet this game. But I am going to pick the Denver Broncos. Because I think the Denver Broncos have a really good defense. Their offense may not be very good, but they have a very good defense. In Indianapolis, they are 1-2-1, one, and, one, and they may be, as I said on Monday, they may be only one game back for the lead in the AFC South, but that is a terrible division, and the Colts are not a really good football team. And like it or not, hook it by crook, Denver is still 2-2 two and two and has an opportunity to win the AFC West, though I do not think that they will with the Chargers and Raiders and obviously Kansas City coming in a form. I think this is a big game for Russell Wilson on a short week. I think Denver, we know they lost Javante Williams. Sounds like Mike Boone, maybe Melvin Gordon in a time split a little bit at running back. But I think Denver shortens the playbook. I think they run the ball. They play good defense against a Colts team whose defense under Gus Bradley, new defensive coordinator with Matt Eberflus going to Chicago, has not showed yet. And their offense outside of Michael Pittman really has no weapons, especially if you shut down Jonathan Taylor. We saw that last week against the Tennessee Titans. The Colts are old and they are slow. They need to get more dynamic. I don't think it happens Thursday night. I think in the mountains, the Broncos will win the ballgame. Next game. This game is not in Lambeau, or I believe the spread would be higher. This is on a neutral field. Green Bay is favored by eight across the pond in London against the New York football giants, who it sounds like they may go with Davis Webb. Now, we know these London games are weird, and the Packers very well could easily cover this eight-point spread, and I would not be surprised if they do. It looks like Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs are starting to get more comfortable with Aaron Rodgers as his primary wideouts. However, saying that, the Giants have a pretty good defense. Green Bay does not have great weapons yet on the offensive side of the ball. And we all know, folks, we all know, these games with a backup quarterback, and it sounds like Tyron Taylor and Daniel Jones are both down for the Giants. We all know they're the trickiest games because the Giants have nothing to lose. And they are 3-1 under Brian Dable. I think it goes to show two 3-1 teams when that one team is favored by 8 points. Vegas feels like Green Bay, even, even not in Green Bay, even in London, is the way better team. 
I agree with why I think Green Bay wins, but I'm going to stay away from the line in this game because it could be closer than we all think. Again, it could be easily abroad. It could be as closer as we all think. I'm staying away from the line in this game. Next game, we got two teams notorious for blowing leads and choking, not only this season, but throughout their history. The Chargers coming to Cleveland, where they have historically not played well against the Browns. But the Chargers on the road in Cleveland are favored by three points. That tells me they feel like the combination of Gerald Everett, Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, you know, Mike Williams, even without Keenan Allen, is better than what the Browns have with Jacoby Brissett. I've said it multiple times, and I don't care if Miles Garrett is back and if all those Browns defensive linemen are back, the Browns are not a well-coached football team. They do not stop the run, they do not stop the pass that well, and they are very conservative for offensive-minded Kevin Stefanski on offense, who does not trust Jacoby Brissett that much to throw the football down the field. Now, the Browns are at home. Amari Cooper should have a good game because he's at home. I expect David and Joe could have a good game. And I think you can run on this Chargers front. I think Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and the Browns will ball control. The issue is going to be, we know, as I mentioned, this Chargers offense is explosive. And even without Joey Bosa, you still have Khalil Mack on the outside. Brown's offensive line has not been, you know, extra perfect, if you will, this season. So if the Chargers get up on the Browns early, we have not really seen that from the Browns. The Browns have had the lead for most of the game in Carolina, which, again, they, they could have lost. Jets game, they should have won, but they had the lead for most of that game. They had the lead for most of the other game, if not all of the game, against the Steelers. If not, they were tied. And they had the lead for most of the contest against Atlanta. I don't think they've trailed by more than two possessions all season long. And so this is the best offense they will face by far. Of course, you're talking about Carolina, bad offense. Jets have some pieces, but again, bad offense. Steelers, bad offense. Atlanta, not a very explosive offense. So the Chargers are by far the best quarterback and best offense they will face all year long. Browns get tested here. Chargers win on the road. Next game, Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. Bills are favored by a whopping 14 points. Now, we expect this to be Kenny Pickett's first start for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're going to throw him into the fire against Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and Philadelphia. It seems like, you know, I thought maybe his first start would be against the Jets, looking at the schedule, because you'd have that mini bye week. On a Thursday, Jets would be obviously easier than Buffalo. We know the Steelers play good defense, but without T.J. Watt, they have really struggled to get out of the quarterback. And Buffalo, whose offense has not been, you know, all humming over the last two weeks, even though they did come back and beat the Ravens. It was a slugfest in Baltimore. I think they bounce back here. 14 points is a crap ton of points, and I would not advise you to bet this because the Steelers could very easily cover. But I do think, much like the Green Bay and Giants game, there is a chance where Buffalo absolutely blows the doors off Pittsburgh. And I also think there's a chance where Pittsburgh makes this a more competitive game than we think. Again, bigger line, Buffalo will win the game, not control betting. Next game, we got the Dolphins, who are favored by three on the road, even with Eddie Bridgewater against the New York Jets. Now, we all know what's going on with Tua Tagovailoa. I addressed it on Monday's podcast. 
If you missed it, you know, we, we know clearly something happened with, with Agavai where he should not have gone in, in the, back into the back into the game during week three against the Bills. Uh, he did, and we saw the consequences of that. Obviously, the NFL is investigating it. But now with Teddy Bridgewater, who does not throw the football that much down the field, I'll be interested to see if they use Mike Gusecki, the tight end, a little bit more. And maybe Jalen Waddle gets more involved in that underneath stuff. Maybe they throw more screens at Tyree Kill. Nonetheless, I think the Jets had an incredible victory last week against the Steelers. I said going into the year, the Jets could be 0-4 for the first four games, and they are 0-2 at home and 2-0 on the road. They beat both their AFC North adversaries, the Browns and the Steelers, who for the record are the two worst teams in the North. But they beat them both on the road. A tremendous comeback by Zach Wilson in his first start of the season. And with Garrett Wilson, with Elijah Moore, with Michael Carter, with Brees Hall, with obviously Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, the Jets, Quinn Williams. The Jets have some pieces to build around, but I think this kind of pushback game, I think Miami is inspired by Bridgewater's performance. They need to bounce back. They are on a mini-buy after the Thursday night game against Cincinnati. They will get a victory here against the Jets, and I'm not going to bet the game. A game I will bet, though. Lions at Patriots, and you know I love the Lions. I've taken them at least, what, two or three times this year so far in best bets. This week, I'm going opposite. I am taking New England, my first best bet of the day, minus three against the Lions. We know Jared Goff is a terrific quarterback indoors. This year, he's played four indoor games. He's a top-five quarterback this football season. This is the best defense, maybe outside of Philadelphia week one, he will have faced yet. We know what Bill Belichick can do to, to, to opposing quarterbacks, and it is outside. And we know how Goff, in his career, in cold weather, in Foxborough, on the East Coast, really struggles. So Dan Campbell on that offense, they have some pieces. Even if Amon St. Brown is still out, TJ Hawkinson, Josh, uh, Josh Reynolds, Jamal Williams. But I don't really like the Lions here. Aaron Gwen's defense is the worst in the league this year. The Lions are the first team in over 20 years to have the best offense and the worst defense in football. I don't think you can fix that defense overnight, and I think they struggle in New England. Give me Bill Belichick either with Bailey Zappi or Brian Oyer, though I think it's going to be Zappi more than likely, who did play well last week on the road in Green Bay. I'll take New England minus three. Next game. Again, not really sure how this game's going to go. It's a divisional game. Texans at Jaguars. Jaguars are favored by seven. I feel like that's a little bit too much. If I was going to bet this game, even though it's in Jacksonville with Doug Peterson, and I do think they will bounce back again being on the road last week in Philadelphia, I think was a tough game. They'll play well this week against Houston, but that's a lot of points for a Houston Texans team with Davis Mills that has fought their butt off all season long. They have been competitive in, in every ball game. I think every game they played in has been a one-possession game, even though they have lost their last three games. They obviously tied with the Colts in week one. They went down to the wire against the Bears last week. They they almost came back against the Chargers You know, last week. They went down to the wire with the Bears two weeks ago, down to the wire against Denver in week two. So I think Houston's a competitive bunch. You know it's a divisional game. Jacksonville will, will win the ball game, but I don't know. These points may be too much for me to swallow here with Jacksonville, so I'm not going to bet it. Next game. 
we got the Titans at the Commanders. Now, every week, as you guys know, I picked a lot of favorites this year, but every week I try to find an upset in the best bets that I'm going to go with. And this week, it is the Commanders. They are two and a half point dogs at home against the Tennessee Titans. They started off 0 2. They have won the last two games, but those wins have came against Vegas, where they were up and almost blew the lead, and against the Colts, a divisional rival who they own. The Commanders have not looked good since week one. Their offense did not look good against the Lions, but they were on the road in Detroit. Philadelphia and Dallas have two of the best pass rushing you know, units in all of football. I think Carson wins this week against a weaker pass rush unit in Tennessee. I think the Commanders are really under fire. They're 1-3 after starting 1-0. Carson Wentz looked good week one against Jacksonville. Again, it's week one. It's a little awkward. They have not looked the same since. The Commanders feel like a team that's going to bounce back. This is going to be a physical football game, and I think that Commanders have the advantage offensively through the air. They do have good weapons in J.R. Dodson, Curtis Samuel, Scary Terry McCord. Logan Thomas at tight end. I think Carson Wentz is comfortable this week. I think that defensive front led one by Jonathan Allen. I think they make Ryan Tano uncomfortable. I think they stop the run. And in a weird ball game where you could really see any side really win this ball game, I'm going to take the Commanders. That is my upset best bets of the week. Commanders plus two and a half at home as a dog against Tennessee. Next game. I think the Saints get their first one of the year. They are taking on Seattle, who, let's be honest, Seattle is 2-2. Two and two. Who would have saw that coming? They beat Denver at home, but then they went on the road to beat the Lions, a game where I bet the Lions minus 4.5. It did not work out. Geno Smith and crew put up 48 points, and the Seahawks have weapons. They have a good offensive line. They have running backs. Now, their defense needs a little work. Obviously, Jamal Adams has been out for the year at safety, but Diggs at free safety is okay. They got some good corners and have been playing their butts off. But I think the Saints, no matter if it's Andy Dalton, which I think it's going to be, or Jameis Winston, we saw they moved the ball against that Minnesota defense last week in London. Andy Dalton looked a lot more comfortable than Jameis Winston under center, and I don't know how they're going to stop Chris Olave along with you know, Jarvis Landry in that dome in New Orleans. It's going to be loud as hell. I think it's an uncomfortable environment for Seattle, which, you know, went to the Midwest in Detroit, and then they have to go all the way south against New Orleans. I think back-to-back East Coast trips, if you will, is going to be tough for them. I got the Saints winning this game, though I'm not going to bet it. I'll tell you a game I will bet, though. That is Atlanta without Cordero Patterson. At Tampa Bay, the Bucks are favored by eight and a half, and I'm going to take the Tampa Bay side of this. I think Tampa Bay is going to come out angry after Kansas City put up 41 points on Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Sean Murphy Bunting, and that defense last week. And Tampa Bay is going to look to make a statement. They have played Atlanta very well. Atlanta typically gets blown out by good football teams, and this is by far. By far, maybe besides the Rams in Week 2, Atlanta's biggest S of the season. I don't think they played a defense like Tampa because the Rams' defense has not looked incredibly great. We know Tampa can stop the run. They're going to force Marcus Mariota to throw the football. And Drake London and Kyle Pitts may have had better seasons than I thought so far. But Marcus Mariota is not going to be able to keep up with Tom Brady, who will have his, you know, 
uh, weapons with Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Cameron Bray, regardless of what is going on in Tom Brady's personal life. I think the Bucks roll here. It's a big spread, but I really do like it without Atlanta's best best player, arguably on offense, in Cordell Patterson and a bad offensive line, a limited quarterback in Marcus Mariota. I am betting Tampa Bay minus eight and a half. Next game, we got Bears at Vikings. Now, I didn't want to bet this game, but I think you certainly could make a case for Minnesota minus seven. The Bears are not very good. Justin Fields is not very good. We say it every week here on this podcast. The Bears have a defensive coach. They don't score touchdowns. They kick four field goals, and they lost to the Giants. They are 2-2, two and two, but their two wins came against Houston in a game that came down to the wire and a game against San Francisco in the slop in Chicago Week 1. They are also on the road where they struggle more than all. Justin Fields is a young quarterback against Daniel Hunter, Zedarius Smith, the Vikings defensive line, and even after a game in London, you know it's a divisional game. You know Minnesota is going to want to get up off the mat here. Chicago's defensive secondary is not very good. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Irv Smith, the tight end, have a big day. It's a 1 o'clock window. Kirk Cousins is going to have a big day. Even with the injury, I think Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison could both have big days. I think Minnesota beat Chicago here. And again, who knows with the spreads. Bears are going to be up. It's, in the, it's a divisional game. But I think uh, Minnesota is certainly better than Chicago. This next game, I'm also going to bet. San Francisco at Carolina. I think this is a lock. Niners favored by six on the road. Give me San Francisco all day long. Baker Mayfield, for the first four weeks of this season, the former Browns quarterback, is statistically the worst quarterback in the National Football Week with a 15 QBR. He's got a less than 50% completion percentage throwing the football. Carolina cannot throw the football. They can only throw checkdowns. <coughs> Excuse me. To Christian McCaffrey out of the flat. Carolina is just god-awful. I think the Niners are going to get their hands up. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, Jeff Wilson, George Ittle, they run the ball. They play ball control. I don't think this game is particularly close. I think San Francisco, much like Arizona last week against the Panthers, they roll. And Carolina, this will be their fourth straight home game of the season. Four to five games they're going to play at home with their only road game week two against the Giants. It's their third straight home game. And I think they're going to be disappointed because I think they're only going to win one out of their first four at home. I think it sets a bad precedent for the season. Again, I think the Niners roll here. I don't think the Panthers are a very good football team at all. Next game. We got the Cowboys at the Rams. Now, the Rams are favored by four and a half at home. We saw Matthew Stafford struggle against San Francisco, his nemesis on, on Monday Night Football. And we know Cooper Rush has played well for the Dallas Cowboys, and I believe he's going to continue to play well. And the Cowboys, arguably with, with Michael Parsons to go along with Demarcus Lawrence, they may have the best pass rush, maybe next to Philly, you know, football. You can even make an argument right now. Michael Parsons is a better football player than Aaron Donald. I think all of that combined, the Rams are on a short week. They're going to bury the tape. This may be a hard over egg tape because I think this is an a, a easier game for Dallas than it was originally when the schedule came out. But I think the Rams 
come out and they barely squeak by a victory. Dallas' offense has been a little anemic. CeeDee Lamb, Noah Brown has been better than we expected. But I think the Rams saw it some way, find a way to win this game by a field goal. I think four and a half, I'd probably take the Dallas side of it. And once the Rams score a touchdown to the buzzer, I think this thing comes down to a kick. I think this is one of the most intriguing games of the weekend. And I think out of all of these games, maybe outside of Chargers, Browns, Titans, Commanders, I think this is the hardest game to pick potentially of the entire weekend. Next game. We got Philly in Arizona. Now, the Eagles are favored by five and a half. My Eagles have obviously looked at the best team in football throughout the first four weeks. Saying that, though, Arizona has always been Philadelphia's house of whores. Whatever it may be, whenever we go to Arizona to play the Cardinals, we do not perform well. I cannot tell you the last time we won in Arizona. The Eagles, maybe in my lifetime since I've been a fan, maybe have never won in, in Arizona. Now, that could change this week. If DeAndre Hopkins was in for the Cardinals, I'd be more concerned about this game. But really, Arizona has not played a complete football game yet all year. They came back on the Las Vegas Raiders, which they really should not add in Week 2. And they destroyed a very bad Carolina Panthers team in the second half last week, both on the road. At home in Week 1, they got blown out by Kansas City. And at home in Week 3, Kyler Murray looked terrible against the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm not worried about Arizona being a home field advantage per se. I think Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and A.J. Brown, who is obviously a number one wide receiver, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, against a bad Arizona defense. Now, Zach Ertz may give the offense some tricks and tips, obviously the more Philadelphia Eagle for all those years, but I think the Eagles have a chance here to make a statement on the road. Before you take on the Dallas Cowboys Sunday Night Football, but entering the game of the year to this point in the NFL, I think they can make a statement going on the road and showing the NFL they are for real, like they did to Carolina in 2017 on a Thursday night in Week 6. After a big win at home against the Cardinals, Arizona usually struggles in Philly. We usually struggle in Arizona. I think it is the reverse here, and I think the Eagles will knock off Arizona, but I'm not going to bet this game. A day game I am going to bet, and you may think I'm strange here for taking this bet, but I like Baltimore at home to bounce back and cover by more than three against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday night football. The Ravens, I cannot figure them out. They should be one of the best teams in the league. They should at least be three and one, but they are two and two. This is going to be already their third, you know, home game of the year out of five games, I believe. And listen, Baltimore, they've had leads in the two odds. They've had, they obviously blew the lead to Miami in week two. Last week at home, they blew it to Buffalo. They've lost five straight home games. I think that that streak ends here because while the Ravens secondary is bad and we expect big plays, from Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, E. Higgins, Tyra Boyd, and the Bengals offense. I think the Bengals defense can be run upon. And I think Baltimore is going to be looking for revenge after Cincinnati swept them. And I think John Arbaugh, Lamar Jackson, they obviously have gotten a lot of questions this week about blown leads and whether they go for it too much, whether you trust them. I think the Ravens bounce back this week on Sunday Night Football. Give me Baltimore minus three against Cincinnati. And finally, I was thinking of betting this, 
The only reason why I did not is because I feel like seven points may be a little bit too high. Maybe I'm underestimating my, you know, my favorite pick in the AFC West this year, the Las Vegas Raiders with Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and all of that. But I really feel like Kansas City is going to take apart Vegas. It's why I thought week four, Broncos Raiders was so important for the Raiders to win because I don't see a way they defeat Kansas City, who looked so good in prime time. They go from Sunday night to Monday night, so they even get an extra day to prepare for the Raiders, who just had a hard divisional game against the Denver Broncos. Maybe they come out, maybe Josh McDaniels motivates this team, but the Raiders secondary is not good at all. And I think Kansas City, even without Tyreek Hill, we've seen how good Patrick Mahomes looks. We know how good Andy Reid is usually on Monday Night Football. I think that there is a chance, much like there's a chance for Green Bay to blow out the Giants, much like there's a chance for the uh, Bills to blow out Pittsburgh. I think there's a good chance here that Kansas City blows out Vegas on Monday night. Again, I'm not going to bet them, though. I really think I should because I think that, that you know Kansas City will win by more than seven. Though, again, there's a chance maybe Vegas comes back and gets a backdoor cover if they play well, but I doubt it. I really think at this point Kansas City is just better than Las Vegas. So let's recap. I have Denver at home over the Colts on Thursday night. Green Bay at home in London against the Giants. Chargers on the road over the Browns. Bills at home over Pittsburgh. Dolphins on the road over the Jets. New England, I am betting minus three to win and cover at home against Detroit. Jacksonville over Houston. Commanders, I am betting to win and cover the plus two and a half underdog spread against Tennessee. New Orleans at home over Seattle. Tampa Bay, I'm betting eight and a half to cover and win at home against Atlanta. Minnesota over Chicago. San Francisco, I am betting minus six on the road to win and cover against Carolina. Rams at home over Dallas. Eagles on the road over Arizona. Baltimore at home over Baltimore, which I'm betting minus three in favor of the Ravens. Kansas City at home against Vegas on Monday night. So, yes, I do like a lot of home teams this week. I only like four road teams, those being the Chargers, Dolphins, Niners, and Eagles. I am this confident in my picks. I am the most confident I have been since the start of the season. I really think that this is a good week for a lot of teams to bounce back. As always, Again, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. Follow the show at Real underscore B World. Make sure you check out my interview with Sean Fitzgerald tomorrow. We go over all things Guardians, NFL, and Cavs. Go Guardians tomorrow in the playoffs. Enjoy Extreme Rules this Saturday. And we'll be back Monday breaking down Extreme Rules, NFL action, and baseball playoffs. And we'll see you then. Peace.